Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a Kessor's family production. In this episode, we discuss the American Arena League. This podcast exists in large part because of KSCM, the content marketing business inside Kessor's Inc. So what does KSCM do? You know how many business leaders need help communicating their story? Well, that's what we do content creation, and distribution for business leaders. This provides opportunities, relationships, and a platform for you and your business. Why do we do this? Because at KedCM, we exist to help business leaders build a meaningful legacy that is worth living and leaving. Learn more by visiting KedCM.com. Today, we speak with Tony Zeffaretto. Tony is the CEO of the American Arena League. Previously, Tony was the GM of the Newark Bears and the Wilmington Waves of Minor League Baseball, where he met his business partner, Jack Bowman. Together, they started the American Arena League. The AAL is an indoor football league founded in 2017. In 2018, the AAL grew to be the largest professional arena league in the U.S. Tony shares stories from his days in minor league baseball to his experiences running the American Arena League. At Sports Epreneur, we are very excited to announce that we will be helping the American Arena League with some of their marketing efforts this season. Let's not wait any longer. We welcome Tony Zeffaretto. In this first segment, Tony takes us back to how he got his start in the sports world. Well, I played high school and I played high school sports, you know, baseball and football. Um, I was injured in high school. I uh, had concussions, multiple concussions. I tore my rotator cuff before it was even invented. The rotator cuff turned down college scholarships and decided that because of my injuries, uh, especially football with the concussions, uh, so I, I decided to focus on school. Uh, went went to went to a school initially for physical therapy so I could be continue to be involved in sports and I was misled I was I was told that I was able to get into the, the physical therapy program um, in my sophomore year and they they changed the rules and they said no I can't be until at least your junior year so I, I want I I got um, a degree in sports medicine and athletic training in sports medicine had an opportunity to uh, somebody I was working with, who is currently the head trainer for New York Yankees, Stevie Donahue. Um, had, I had an opportunity to join the Yankees at the Double A level. Back then, it was in Tennessee, and uh, elected to not do that, and went, on, went into coaching. And my first, actually, my first coaching job, my official coaching job, was. Uh, at Brooklyn College, when Brooklyn College had a football team. So I was coaching at Brooklyn College. I was also coaching high school baseball. And I went up the ladder, and, and ironically, while I was coaching at Brooklyn College football, uh, I became the head baseball coach at City College of New York. Uh, I was I was successful there. I, I won a, a regular season championship at City College. Was really living a great life. And my son was born. My wife and I decided to relocate to Florida, and I opened – a sports camp business, and I, I worked with a number of major league baseball teams: the Braves, the Astros, the Rangers, the Red Sox, Phillies, Royals, Twins, Reds. And I used to go, uh, I used to go to city to city with a group of co- mostly college, high school, and college coaches. And I stayed, I stayed involved in that. And for me, that was like living the life of a minor league baseball player, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. When I left Brooklyn, when I left Brooklyn College, I became a head coach at my uh, alma mater high school in, in Brooklyn Lafayette High School. I won a football championship. We were the undefeated Brooklyn champions. Um, and then we went, I should say, then we went down to Florida. 
and I continued my camp business. And through the years, I, I decided I coached baseball down in Florida. I coached football, um, won a high school championship for Florida or two. Or two. And what I decided to do, is, you know, I continued my camp business, but I had an opportunity to go to New Orleans and to join the New Orleans Zephyrs uh, staff in year two of the team, a very successful record-setting team. At, and I was not involved in football whatsoever at that time. I Nolan Ryan purchased the team. I, I helped start the franchise in, in Round Rock, Texas. But even when I was in New Orleans, I had the great opportunity to spend some time. He, Mike Ditka was the coach of the Saints, and I, I had the opportunity to meet him and spend a little time with Mike Ditka and, and always speaking X's and O's and having a laugh, lot of laughs because he's such a great guy. Uh, and went to went to Round Rock and was in Round Rock. Happened to I was the director of ticket operations and staff in Round Rock, Texas, and with my baseball coaching background, it was always unique because I was very involved. I always tried to stay involved with baseball, the coaching aspect. So when the when GMs of major league teams would come in town, we we you know I'd always have the opportunity to meet them and spend time with them, and some of them used to go out. I used to go sit in the stands a little bit, and we used to speak baseball. So the GM of the Dodgers actually came. He had a very unique perspective. What he used to do is he never sat in the seat. He used to walk around the baseball stadium so he'd get different perspectives. Spent time with him, and there was an opportunity to relocate the Dodgers franchise to from San Bernardino, California, and the Dodgers hired me as vice president and general manager of the team. I relocated the team to Wilmington, and that's how I ended up on the east, back on the East Coast. Um, the I was there. I became the general manager general manager in, in Newark, um, had a great opportunity. Said, you know, not only Newark was great because you have a lot of AAA, former major league players and AAA players. So, you, so as a GM, you make the trades. So you're involved with the entire, the entire process, Base, you know, the baseball side and the business side, set attendance records, set revenue records, won a championship was really, they used to call me traded Tony because I made 74 trades in one season. And, um, no, we we had some form we had four major league players. We had you know Jack Armstrong on the team. He was a close for the Reds. We had a guy by the name of Jimmy Hurst who played with the Mariners. Uh, uh, Mark Lytle who played for the Yankees and the Blue Jays. So and, and we had others um, that I had made trades for. So did that. Went to was there one year. My wife really didn't want to move back north, so we I went to Myrtle Beach. Became the assistant GM there. And that's where I met my business partner, Jack Bowman. He was the head of, you know, he was the GM of the Myrtle Beach Stingrays arena football team down there. And the press was pitting the two teams against each other, who's the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, who, you know, who's going to get the most fans. So I, I walked into their, his office, and uh, he, he said, what do you want? I introduced myself. He said, what do you want? I said, nah, what, it's not what I want. I said, what I can do for you, what we can do together. And and he said, yeah, what are you going to do for me? I said, so I said, listen, I'm a former college coach. I won a high school championship. I would, uh, you know, I like to work together. And from that point on, and that's, uh, I sound like a major myself, but that was back in 2003. Uh, that year, I actually ended up coaching the team. I started coaching the team. Uh, the following year, 2004, I continued coaching the team, but I worked for the Pelicans, and that was my, my full-time job. And what I used to do is, you know, I'm all about I'm all about developing partnerships with clients and being very involved in the community. And there was some clients of ours that just couldn't afford to 
you know, to come on board with us. So what I used to do, if they couldn't come on board with us, I used to bring them along to uh, Jack and say, hey, Jack, here, here's some people you probably can close and develop some uh, extra revenue, an extra revenue stream. And um, it, it, went, it went very well. And we've been, Jack and I have been friends, and we've always spoken about doing this together. Uh, and then what happened, so I, I've been helping him through the years. Whenever a team was failing, he would he would ask me to go to that city and speak to the owners and, and turn the franchise around, which I've done. Fast forward to 2004, we, again, I, I've been helping Jack ever since. And we've talked about starting our own football league, and we did that. We started three years ago with the Arena Pro Football League, and it's uh, it's grown. It's grown every year. We started with six teams in year one. And uh, last year, I believe we had 12 teams, and now we have 14. In this segment, Tony discusses why he wanted to get involved with arena football. Why arena football? Uh, and then I attended a game, and I said, "Holy mackerel! This is this is terrific! Fast, you know, fast-moving action, um, hard hitting. Uh, it's entertaining, uh, and and you can see the NFL has changed, you know, philosophically from." You know, it's it's more entertainment. It's more about the fans. It's the interaction. Because because let's face it, yes, it's about the players. Um, it's about fans engaging with the fans. So the the fast the fast moving action, um, it's different. It, it it's totally different. Tony now discusses what it is like to run a sports league. As my wife will say, I work forty hours a day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the it, it's endless. I mean, I, I get calls two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Um, it is it is endless, and and one of, one of the, the biggest challenges we had is the industry, and rightfully so, has a black eye. Teams come and go, leagues have come and go, and what I've tried what I've tried to do is is change the philosophy. Um, I've tried to take the, the model of minor league baseball, which has been around for years and been very successful, and I try to integrate it into the arena league. Uh, I, you know. There's different philosophy. There's different arena leagues, indoor leagues around the country, and each league has their own philosophy. And we we came up with a blueprint we think is successful for what we what we're looking to do. So the, the most the most time consuming thing about this whole process is not only venting the people that want to come on board. And I will share this. We, I have for the last two years. I've had over 50 teams that have wanted to join our league, um, and I turn them down. Those are the teams I turn down because I'm trying to change the industry. I am, and I, I and one of the ways you do it is, is simply. I mean, most outlandish, simplest thing that people don't understand, but just a matter of communicating. When people call me up, I, I return their phone calls, and they're shocked. And I say, "What are you shocked for?" And uh, I, I help. And, and the way the way we grew from year one to year two, it was a very simple process. I, I used to, you know, I, I helped probably, I would say, about at least 20 to 30 teams that were not even our league year one. Because if if one team falls off in any league, it's a black eye, another, I should say, another black eye for the industry. And, we, you know, we don't want that. I, I, I don't speak poorly about other leagues. Um, there's no reason to. We should all be working together, in fact, because, you know, we're, we're all strengthened in numbers. So if no matter where the team is, if the team does something in a negative fashion, it hurts the industry again. And, and we're not perfect. We're far from perfect. We make our mistakes. But 
you know what? The group of ownerships, the group of owners that we have right now, uh, they understand that you know we we think about the big picture and we're all we're all focused on the future vision that we're hoping to obtain. We built a business model that is is not you know it, it's you know it, it's right now it's not a uh, a multi million dollar type of thing where where we have good business people involved, but I I think we are going to be taking it to the next level very shortly. I mean, last year we had we had approximately approximately 40 to 45 former NFL play well people with NFL ties. I mean, we had all we had former Super Bowl champions playing in our league. We had uh, yes, we had all American football you know, NCAA former NCAA Division One football um, all Americans playing in our league. Uh, so I mean, it's catching on. Yeah. On because you know the, the, our talent level has become so high, and you know be, be, one is yes the talent, so you know there's a product on the field, but the interaction with the fans is so important, and and it, it, it's been wonderful. The response we've got is, is ultimately wonderful. This last segment is all about the American Arena League, including what you can expect from the AAL and the future of the league. We started out as the Arena Pro Football League, and then what happened is we had teams from three other leagues. Actually, we took on two other leagues, and we had team two teams from a third league that actually wanted to join, and and that's why you know they said, hey, can we start a new identity with all the new teams, and we transitioned into the American Arena League. After year one, the players the players come to our league for generally three reasons. One is some of them have played in the NFL or again in Division One football, and, and we have some that are just uh, that that play college football at the Division Three levels or walk on. So we we have players like that too, but predominantly with the form of D one players. Um, so what happens is, you know, we have those players that one is their families have never seen. They've heard stories. They they've heard that you know they've they to speak to their friends and the kids around us. They want their families to see what they've done. So that's all they're looking to accomplish. We have players that are looking to get back to the NFL. So that that's two. And then three of them, we have people that are near misses that have that drive again to get to the NFL. And some of them just, you know, I should say four reasons. Some of them just enjoy playing football. As I tell people, there are there's millions of people, play, former players out there at all college levels, um, you know, there's 120-something D1 schools out there. So think about through the years how many college former college football players are out there alone at the D1 level, never mind two, three, uh, junior college level, uh, high school graduates that want to play. So yep. there's so many football players out there that just want to continue their careers. And, and that's and, and quite frankly, think of how many teams across the country are semi-pro and they're, they're paying to play. So here we're giving them an opportunity to, to generate some income, and we have top-level um, talent. We focus on having a competitive league. Mm-hmm. Last year, I, I, I going last year going into the last week of the season, I believe there were still seven teams or eight teams, maybe even nine, competing for four playoff spots. Um, that's exciting because of the competition. It's not it, it's not only exciting for the teams. But it's exciting for the fans uh, and, and and the people in the communities because you know we're all about bringing affordable family entertainment to the fans. So you know, you imagine 
a team from your city, whether it's Charlotte, whether it's Macon, and you're with the Georgia Doom, now Florence and, and, Kate, and Fayetteville, and that's, I mean, West Michigan. I mean, we, we have this year one of the, one of the uh, more prominent teams that's been around very successful years in the industry. So all, all of these cities, um, you know, going into the last week of the season with so many teams that have an opportunity to be in the playoffs, that, that's just a very competitive league. And, and I'm very excited because I, I really believe we, we have you, – you could roll the dice. You know, we have four divisions this year, and in every division you just roll the dice because we don't know what's going to happen from week to week. And, and if a team wins big this week, and, and let's – we all know – one of the things about it, you know, again, going, going back to what you had said about uh, why arena football, and I spoke about how exciting it is, but it's also a very high-scoring game. I mean, teams score 60, 70, 80 points. Uh, there's teams that score 90 points in a game, which is incredible. It's a, it's a shorter field. It's only 50 yards. So, uh, you know, the high-scoring game. So from week to week, you know, a team might might destroy somebody uh, with a big score this week, and next week it's, it's just another game. I, I, watched, I watched the game last week. Um, I was at the KP Heroes, uh, Carolina Cowboys, and if I tell you, the, I don't remember what the final score was. It was probably 68 to 15 or something along those lines. I, um, don't quote me on that. But I, I can tell you, you speak about the game inches, and, and at halftime I went in and I spoke to the officials, and they were just shaking their heads. Because although the KP Heroes won big, I will tell you that every single pass the Carolina Cowboys defenders, the defensive backs were, it, it was they either went off the, the passes, either touchdown passes, either went off their fingertips, or the two defense DBs collided, or they missed it by an inch. Oh, wow. um, and on the offensive side, they had Carolina Cowboys had some guys wide open, and they were waiting for the pass, and they just misplayed the pass, and the ball just went off their fingertips, or they misplayed it. And I, I was scratching my head. I said, this, this game is amazing. So it was so funny, so funny. So from week to week, you don't know. You just don't know. You know, we're, we're in arenas and venues with – you know, five to ten thousand feet. Everyone's on top of that. I mean, if, if you know, hopefully the fans are in Charlotte. Hopefully the fans go Sunday. At, you know, it's four o'clock to the Charlotte mm-hmm. Energy game. And if you, you attend the Charlotte Energy, you're going to be sitting on top of the action. It's so mm-hmm. intimate. Um, you're going to drive up, and you're not going to pay ten, twenty dollars for parking. It's free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, know, you go to the game, and you know, you buy it. You buy a ticket. Um, you, you're going to see the community involved. I mean, I'm, I'm going to use the Charlotte Energy, but I can use any team. Um, you know the the local hospitals involved, the chamber of commerce is, is involved, uh, the Better Business Bureau is involved. It, it's just so many local chapters. Boy Scouts are involved. Some of our teams, the Girl Scouts. It, it, it is you know it's a community event. Again, I, I I take the 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 concept of minor league baseball, and with the arenas, you're right on top of the action. So it's it's fast. Um, you know, we, we and I'll, I'll tell you, it, it's it, this is a, a, a good but bad story. Um, last year we had a team that was was uh, kind of fledgling with their ownership, and uh, the league took them over for the most part. And I did not want to dissolve the team. The coach put in the whole season. The players were dying. They, they said, we'll do anything to play. And uh, we were able to get them through a season last year, but we, we, we had a partner. I mean, we had somebody that was going to – really that wanted to own the team and he just ended up dragging his feet and I couldn't pull the plug because it just wasn't right to do it anybody but we relocated the team and if I tell you Mr. John is the truth we we we, we had out we announced the team in that community on the Monday before their first game 
because we had to relocate the team. And do you know we had a couple of hundred people show up to the game, wow. which was which was amazing in itself for a Monday, and they didn't even know what this was. There were just people that enjoy entertainment, which we promised to give them. Uh, we went to this community, and I tell you what, the business owners say, hey, how do we get involved? We'd love to be a sponsor. we love to – you know, we see some of these wacky things that are going on in between time, you know, during timeouts. Mm-hmm. And I was I was shocked. I was shocked that that I could pull this off on such a short notice. <laughs> but, it, you know, those, those people were just so – I mean, they, they couldn't believe what they were seeing because people, unless they've seen it and tr- they're true Arena League fans, they just – they just don't get it, you know, unless you see it live. It was a blast chatting with Tony about his incredible journey climbing the ladder in the sports industry. We hope you enjoyed these insights from Tony on what it takes to run a sports league. If you're interested in learning more about Tony or the AAL, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Now go get it.